0: Whenever I, somebody wants to talk to me about heaven, generally there are inevitably two questions, generally there are inevitably, it doesn't really make any sense, but inevitably there are two questions, and they are, what about near-death experiences, and will my dog be there? Really, that's, really. Well, I'm not going to talk about pets today but I do want us to think a little bit about near-death experiences because they've been reported by lots of people. There have been a number of people who have reported these times going to heaven. Isaiah reports going to heaven in Isaiah 6. Jonathan Edwards reports, theologian Jonathan Edwards reports something like a near-death experience. Plato has a story of near-death experience. And Steve Jobs, Apple genius, seemed to have some kind of a vision of something heavenly. And so these near-death experiences are widely known. Since uh, the famous book was written by Raymond Moody in 1975, in which he named these experiences near-death experiences, they have become very widely known, and almost everybody has heard of these occurrences. But the question that we want to think about this morning is, are they biblical? That is, are these near-death experiences a real view of heaven? And after I had read and heard and watched a number of near-death experiences, I read the experience of the Apostle Paul in, first, in 2 Corinthians 12. And in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul reports something that has some similarities with a near-death experience. And so let's turn in our scriptures to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and there we'll see what the apostle has to say and we'll ask some questions about near death experiences. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll read the first 5 verses. I must go on boasting even though even though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. I want us today to ask three simple questions about these near-death experiences. The first question is, exactly what is a near-death experience? And there are three different kinds of near-death experiences that we can think about. The first is a positive kind of near-death experience. And of these positive near-death experiences, the studies that have been done show that they have a, a, a variety of things that are similar. They have an out-of-body experience in which the person leaves their body and looks down. They have some sort of a tunnel or something like that which people go through in the time that they think they are dead. They uh, go to another place, a beautiful place, and they seem to meet loved ones there who are already dead. Then they come to a line or a fence or a uh, something, a river sometimes, that says to them that they can't go any farther than that. And then they have a life review, something like they go through all the events of their life and then finally they're told that they have to come back. And the question that obviously we ask is what's going on there? Uh, One of the most famous near-death experiences is from a lady named Pam Reynolds. And Pam Reynolds had a very serious uh, aneurysm in the brain that was about to burst, and so this experimental surgery was done uh, for her they they cooled her body down to 60 degrees and shut down all of her organs shut down her brain her eyes were taped shut her ears were uh, earphones went in her ears so she couldn't hear anything and while that happened they opened up her head and they worked on the aneurysm and and fixed it and The amazing thing is that after Pam Reynolds was brought back from all of her organs shutting down, her brain shutting down for a a significant amount of time, after that happened, she came back and said that she had had a near-death experience. But the interesting thing was that she was able to very, very exactly describe things that were going on in the operating room that she would have had no way of knowing about. She described these surgical instruments that had been locked up before she was put into this uh, state where her brain and her body were shut down. She described doctors who had come into the room after that had happened. All of this while her eyes were taped shut and her ears were having earphones in them. And I, I don't know what to make of that. I just don't. But that's that's a general sort of experience that many of those who have had near-death experience positive near-death experiences have had but it's not just positive near-death experiences there are also negative near-death experiences and uh, dr kennedy told me once about a man whom he had met in his office who told him about being taken to hell one of the most famous of these is a man named howard storm Storm was an atheist, an artist. Uh, He taught art at a university, and he had nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with God. And while he was in Paris, he had a very serious uh, physical ailment. He was about to die. Uh, there, There weren't many surgeons in that area of Paris. It was on the weekend, and so he ended up lying in a hospital in Paris, just suffering terribly. And he says that these these entities came to him and they convinced him to go with them and he gets up but his wife doesn't know these up and he tries to speak to her and she doesn't listen to him and he realizes that he's a spirit being he goes with these beings and eventually he realizes that they're really malevolent beings they're they're horrid they're terrible they do horrible things to him and he realizes that he is being taken to a hellacious place by these beings Eventually, the surgeon comes. They're they're able to bring uh, this man, Howard Storm, out of this coma that he was in. And he eventually becomes a Christian, goes to seminary, becomes a pastor, and tells people that hell is real and that he believes that because he has been there. Now, there aren't nearly as many negative near-death experiences as there are positive near-death experiences. And Storm, in his book, he says that's because this hellacious experience is so terrible. It's embarrassing. It's horrid. You're being judged and treated terribly by these beings, and it's just a horrible experience. And so, he says, most people don't remember it. They block it out of their mind because it's so horrible. I don't know. But there's a third type in near to that experience, not just positive and not just negative, but the third type is fraudulent. Uh, you may have heard of the book, it was on the New York Times bestseller list, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. Uh, probably two years ago, that young man said that wasn't true. He made it all up because his father wanted him to make it all up so they could get a book and make money. So, you, you, you can't just think that these near-death experiences are, uh, some of them at least, are not even anywhere near the truth. But the, there's a second question we want to ask. Now that you know what a near-death experience is, we want to ask, is that what Paul is speaking about here in Second Corinthians? And if it is, what does it tell us about these near-death experiences that we read about and hear about? There are television shows about them. Dr. Oz did a two-part special on near-death experiences. So it's all over the culture. But what kind of criteria can we use for deciding whether or not these things are real? Whether or not this guy, Howard Storm, really went to hell, or whether or not this this woman, Pam Reynolds, really was able to see the operating room. Let's look at what Paul has to say and compare that to many of the near-death experiences that we've heard about. There are a couple of things that we should see. First, note how long it's been since Paul had this experience. In verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 12, he said, I know a man who 14 years ago... Now, we know that this is Paul for a variety of reasons. Almost all New Testament scholars agree that this is Paul. One reason is that later on in the chapter, he says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me so that I wouldn't have pride about these visions that I've seen. So it was Paul. He's using this term, I know a man, because that was generally the kind of terminology that was used in these ancient trips to the other worlds. But the interesting thing that he says, it was 14 years ago. For 14 years, Paul apparently hasn't spoken about this. I mean, think about the fact that he was with the Corinthian people for a significant amount of time, and he didn't tell them about this vision of heaven that he had had. And so that tells us something, at least, and that is that near-death experiences are not meant to be broadcast around. We ought not to be having books and TV shows and all that. Paul is, he wouldn't have gone on the TV show. He wouldn't have written a book, the apostle that came back from heaven. He, he wouldn't have done that because this was an intensely personal experience and he doesn't like speaking about it. The reason that he speaks about it goes to the context of this part of 2 Corinthians. The latter part of 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending his own apostleship. He's defending his own apostleship because there have come in these men who are claiming to be super apostles. And they're saying, listen, Paul, he's okay, but we're the ones who really know what's going on. And part of that was because, particularly in Corinth, the ability to speak really well was thought of as one of the greatest abilities that you could have. Uh, Paul, in the earliest descriptions of, of the way that he looked, and they may not be right, but the earliest description we have of the Apostle Paul was that he was a short man, bald. What? he was a good-looking man is what I'm saying. (laughs) So he was not the the kind of person that the Corinthians would have automatically looked up to. And yet finally here, he gets to the place where he says, listen, these super apostles are telling you about suffering. I've suffered. In the end of chapter 11, he talks about being let down on, on a rope in a basket to escape. He says, not only do they tell you about suffering, they tell you about visions they've had. Well, listen, I've had visions too. And he's essentially telling the Corinthian people that these, those who are bragging that they are the super apostles really have nothing to brag about. And that Paul certainly could have bragged, but he chose not to. And the interesting thing here is that Paul doesn't say one thing about what he saw, you know? He says, I heard things that I can't talk about, that no one should talk about, that they should not be uttered, but it doesn't say anything about what he saw. Interesting. Then he tells us later on in the chapter that the reason that he has a thorn in the flesh, whatever his thorn in the flesh was, it would take us too far afield to speculate on it, but I, I think it was some kind of a physical problem that he had, and it may have been The beginnings of this physical problem that, that cause this near death experience. I I don't know that for certain. You can read uh, Murray Harris's uh, work on the thorn in the flesh if you'd like to, and he goes through this very, very complex Uh, Method of showing that there were three times in Paul's life when he had this something, it was something like malaria, only worse. And that would have accounted for the three times that Paul uh, prayed for the Lord to relieve him of it. And we don't know for certain what it was, but it was something, and it was something that was not good. It was a messenger of Satan, and yet God was using the messenger of Satan in Paul's life. And the interesting thing is that whenever somebody sees God, it seems to bring with it some negative consequences. Remember that Jacob wrestled with God, and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And so, the the seeing of God for Isaiah, for example, in Isaiah 6, is a very frightening thing. You remember that Isaiah just couldn't imagine what he was doing there in the throne room of God. And The thing that I've come to realize after reading dozens and dozens of near-death experiences, both from the ancient world and and modern, is that the near-death experiences are very culturally bound. And every religious group, every culture, every time period has these same experiences. Muslims have near-death experience. Buddhists have near-death experience. And they don't, most of them, don't talk about Jesus in that near-death experience. A lot of people in their near-death experience don't even talk about God. And so you can go all the way back to ancient literature. You can read, for example, First Enoch has a, a, a going up to heaven. As I mentioned, Plato's Republic has one. And there apparently were some people who were seeking them at the time of Paul. And it may have been that that was was the heresy that Paul talks about in Colossians. Because people often would seek these near-death experiences by starving themselves or by using drugs or things like that. And the thing to realize is that the near-death experiences cannot, all of them can't be true if Christianity is true. And as a test... If you really want to see why they can't all be true and Christianity be true, you can read two books. I'm not going to recommend it, but you, it, this will if you're really into this, this will, might help you. One of them is by a guy named Eben Alexander, and it's called Proof of Heaven. And then there's another one by Marvin Bateman, and it's called My Journey to Heaven. And if you read those two books in like the same week, you'll come to the... Question: I don't think they're talking about the same heaven. In Alexander's book, Proof of Heaven, the, the, Alexander has a God who asks to be called Om. And there's no Jesus. There's no sense of God's holiness creating terror. There's nothing like that there. In Besman's work, he actually goes to heaven and meets St. Peter at the gate of heaven, and he sees jesus and it 's very much like the heaven that we would imagine from reading the Bible. But you see the problem is that both of those heavens can 't be true it just it, it 's impossible and the the first really popular book written on this was by a woman named Betty Eady, and it was called Embraced by the Light. And she told about going to heaven. She said she saw Jesus. She said she didn't want to go back, but she bargained with God. And when God accepted her terms, then she decided to come back. And you want to say, you know, that's nothing like the God that we see in the Bible. You don't bargain with him. You don't make him accept your terms. It just doesn't work that way. And so, we have come to realize that this may be a near-death experience on the part of the Apostle Paul, but it is not anything like many of the near-death experiences that we see. And so, we come to the third question. First is, what is a near-death experience? The second is, is that what Paul's talking about? And the third one, very quickly, is, what should we think about this? And Realize that not every near-death experience describing heaven has anything to say about Jesus or worship and We cannot imagine a heaven without Jesus or worship or a community of believers if we know anything about heaven from the text We know that heaven is a place where we have Jesus and a community of believers worshiping God We also know from Luke 16. Remember the story of the, the rich man and Lazarus. And in that story, the, the rich man dies and Lazarus dies and the rich man sees Lazarus and he says to Abraham, he says, send the Lazarus back. Lazarus was a poor man. Send Lazarus back so that he can tell my brothers not to go where I've gone. And you remember what he's told. He says, if, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, then they won't believe somebody back from the dead. And it it goes to that question of our near-death experience is some kind of an apologetic tool. And I think we have to be very careful about that because we just don't know exactly what's going on there. But we do know that Satan is an evil being, that he does go around trying to confuse us, and we know that some of these visions of heaven are just not true. They can't all be true. But I do think that it's possible that God allows some people to get a little tiny glimpse of heaven. C.S. Lewis has this great line. He says, heaven is that remote music that we are born remembering. And it may be that there are some of God's people, a very few, whom he allows to get that vision of the heavenly city. Remember Stephen in Acts 7. As he's dying, he gets a vision of the heavenly city. Theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard, uh, there's a, a new book that's just come out about called What Dallas Willard Taught Me About Dying in Heaven. And as Dallas Willard was dying, this young man who was working with him and getting his work together, he tells about Dallas Willard seeing the, the heaven and Jesus and saying it's all been true. But the thing that we should realize is not everybody sees that. Not everybody has a near-death experience, and so we, be, we should be very careful. And if anything in, in any of these experiences goes against what the text has to say to us, if it goes against what the Bible has to say, then you can't trust your experience. That's the important thing to realize. That sure, there are lots of people who claim that they've gone to heaven, but you can't trust them. There is another person whom we can trust. Uh, There's a Greek philosopher named Epicurus, and and he, he said it this way. He said, what the real problem that mankind has is not that they believe they're going to be annihilated at death. The real problem that mankind has is that they believe they're not going to be annihilated at death. And it reminds us that at death, we're gonna have to meet God. And that's a scary thought. It's a scary thought because everybody in this room knows that we failed. We failed our parents as being good children. We failed our children being good parents. We've failed our spouses. We failed our friends we failed as citizens of our country. We are, in truth, just big failures as people. We come together on Sunday and we put on nice clothes and we try to remind everybody that we're really not that big of a failure and that probably the people around us are bigger failures than we are and we somehow take take some hope in that. But the truth of the matter is that there is no hope in that. And all of these shortcomings, all of these failures that we have in ourselves, we realize that one day they will be judged. And we get that not from a near-death experience, but from God's very Word. Paul, in this very book of 2 Corinthians, he reminds us that if we are to glory in everything, if we are to boast in anything at all, we boast only in in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the important thing to know is that we do not believe in heaven because of near-death experiences. We do not believe in heaven because somebody went there, claimed to see a variety of crazy things, and then came back and told us. We don't believe in heaven because of that. We believe in heaven Because God promises us heaven in his word. And because the resurrected Jesus promises that he will meet us there. There is no other reason to believe in heaven. And we can go through our lives and seek out all of the near-death experiences that we want to. But at the end of the day, we will be most disappointed because they simply don't match one another. But we have a Savior. And that's the great thing, that even though we are failures as human beings and as parents and as children and as friends and as spouses, even though we are all failures, we have one upon whom we depend who is not a failure. And that one is Jesus Christ. I was reading this morning a sermon by my hero, Charles Spurgeon Spurgeon says this he says poor penitent sinner you cannot have any visions of heaven unless you look through the hands of Christ all of these other visions of heaven they're foolishness but the vision of heaven where God the Father God the Son and God the Spirit are there. And we as a people gather together and worship them. And we as a people live in community with love and friendship for one another. That is the heaven that the Scripture promises us. And so today, in spite of all of your failures... In spite of all the things that have happened wrong, in spite of all the things that you know in your heart that nobody else knows about, in spite of all those times that you've been a failure, your only hope is in the one who wasn't a failure. Your only hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And your only vision of heaven is through the nail-scarred hands of our Savior Jesus Christ.